0: We adore Thee.
1: Let us pray. Father, as we gather here in your house of worship, may it also be a house of prayer and praise and thanksgiving. May it be a house where lives are changed, where the gospel is preached and folks respond and salvation is experienced. Maybe you want to speak to one of us, Lord. We're we're looking at those around us, seeing those needs, but but maybe it It's each one of us that needs to hear what you have to say. Maybe it's in a song or a prayer or scripture, but open us up as we enter this Christmas season. We invite you not just into our world 2,000 years ago, but into our lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be
2: seated. Well good morning again and welcome to First Baptist Church. We're grateful that you're here and uh, just want to extend a special welcome to everyone. Hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday this past week and we're glad to see you back in Tifton. We know that we have uh, probably a lot of folks that are still on the road and uh, we pray for their safety as they return home probably this afternoon but we're grateful that you're here and uh, we want to all join together and, and worship our Lord. If you're a guest with us today, we're especially grateful and thankful that you are here and want to let you know that. Uh, We have in our order of service a little flap that tears off. And if you would be so kind uh, as to, to tear that off and fill that out and give us a record of your visit, we would appreciate that very much. It'll give us a way to correspond with you and let you know more about First Baptist Church. For our members, we ask that you fill that out too so that we have a record of everyone's attendance and just return that to us during the offering time. And uh, we'll have that record of everyone's attendance today. Uh, We uh, used to have our guests to remain seated, and we quit doing that. We don't want to embarrass anyone. We just want everybody to stand now and to greet one another. And if you see an unfamiliar face uh, and you're a member here, uh, meet them and greet them and let them know how glad you are that they've joined us for worship today. So let's stand and greet one another.
1: Well good morning boys and girls. How are you today? What did you do this past week? Did you celebrate Thanksgiving? Did you eat turkey? No. Yeah, she did. I bet you did. What did what did y'all do? Did you go to see parents and grandparents and travel and have a big meal together and, and, and say a prayer of thanksgiving to God for his blessings to us? That's what Thanksgiving is all about. And not just week, but all week long we want to keep thanking God for his blessings. Max you got the Happy Club bag, buddy? Max Nelson. Let's see. something very light. Let's see what he brought. Oh, let's see. Looks like some artwork. Hang on. Max? First of all, it looks like Max made a turkey from... Did you put your handprint down here? And then trace around the handprint and then color it in? And then what's this, Max? A craft you made at school. It looks like it has like leaves on it, special names. Daddy, Mommy, Martha Jane, movies, toys, right, things you're thankful for. Is that, what, is that what's on here? So he made like a, a wreath, a circle, a craft at school, he said. And it has names of people for which he's thankful. For. So Thanksgiving was an opportunity for Max to think about the food that God gives us. And then the blessings that he gives us on uh, a little wreath that that Max made. So that's what Thanksgiving's all about, boys and girls. It's being thankful. And then not only on this week of Thanksgiving, but all year long, just remembering all that God's given us. Max, thank you for reminding us of what Thanksgiving's all about. And I think it's it's important that we just pause right now and give thanks to God. So let's pray together. You pray after me. Dear God. Thank you for food, for friends, for, for family, and for all your blessings that you give to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Max, here are your, here's your school craft and here's your picture of a turkey. You did a good job on that, too. Thank you for sharing things you're thankful for. In church. Miss Sabina, it's a girl's turn, isn't it? Yes. Uh,
0: McKenzie
1: Brown. Where's Mackenzie? Will you take the bag home, sweetie, and bring back something special next week? Boys and girls, you can go to Children's Worship, Miss Sabina. Okay.
2: believe the love that God has for us. Will you stand as we sing about that love divine, all loves excelling. Please stand.
3: Join me as we pray, our Father. We thank you for such a beautiful Lord day you blessed us with today. The Lord it reminds us again of what an awesome and powerful God we serve. The Lord, you lead us and guide us as we go down the last pathway. And the Lord, we think of this Thanksgiving season. With the Lord, we pause to say thank you for all the things that you do for us, not just today, but throughout our lifetime. The Lord, we know there have been many trials and tribulations at many families and we've had to face this year, the Lord, but we don't face them alone. The Lord, you're always there, leading and guiding us and blessing us. Lord, as we come to this portion of the service where we give back that which you have so richly blessed us with, we pray that we give with a very giving heart, the Lord, because you tell us in your word you bless the, the person who gives everything they have because you own it all. Lord, as we listen to Brother Wayne break the bread of life unto us today, we pray that it will have lodging in our hearts. And the Lord, whenever we leave this place, we can all rejoice and say, it was good to have been in the house of God today. All these things we ask in your son Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.
1: Thank you, choir. I do hope you listen to the words of songs that are being sung. It's good theology. What if the trials we face in life are God's mercies in disguise because it's in those that he teaches us about his grace and love and peace? We're in the last book in our preaching tour of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And this is an unusual Sunday because it's a Sunday after Thanksgiving, but Advent doesn't start till next week. There happened to be five Sundays between Thanksgiving and Christmas this year because uh, November the 1st fell on a Thursday, so Thanksgiving came early. And so I I was able to, to look at the book of Revelation, and I wanted to do something with Christmas before getting into Advent. And there is a Christmas passage, believe it or not, in Revelation, it's in chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses one through six. The sermon is entitled The Battle Over Christmas. Usually, when we get to Christmas, we think about peace and tranquility and harmony and, and love and, and all those emotions that, that just prevail at Christmas time, and they're wonderful. But I also want you to realize that there is a battle that's being waged not only in heavenly places, but right around us. And at Christmas, I think those. Those warring uh, sides come to a head. And we see it very poignantly right here in Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. It, It continues through the entire chapter, but I'm just going to read the first six. So keep your Bibles open to Revelation 12. And a great portent appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. And another portent appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems upon his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for one thousand two hundred sixty days and The chapter goes on with the the battle between the dragon and and the heavenly beings, and how he 's cast down to earth and the male child who was born, and how the dragon kept trying to devour the child. And I hope you can see the symbolism in Revelation 12. It's all about Christmas and the battle that's being waged 2,000 years ago until today and until the time when Jesus comes again. Let's bow together. Father, as we come here on the outskirts of Christmas, we're already enjoying the sights and sounds and smells that remind us of Jesus' coming. And we tend to relax and enjoy peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And yet even now we need to be reminded of the battle that's being waged because Satan is still alive, even though his doom is sure. And he is doing all he can to wreak havoc and chaos in our world and in our lives. Help us be prepared and vigilant and to watch And be ready with the power of Jesus on our side forever and ever. Amen. I don't preach often out of revelation because it is so easily misinterpreted. And uh, unfortunately, most of the times when you turn on television and hear someone preaching a revelation, in my opinion, they're misinterpreting it. Because revelation is meant to be taken symbolically, and let me explain why. Let's say, for example, you are a prisoner of war, and you want to communicate, you want to get a message past your captors to the outside world. What do you do? Well, American prisoners of war in, in World War II or in the Korean War, in Vietnam, what they did was write in in a code language. They used a language that only their, their fellow soldiers, their comrades would understand, and their guards would not. Because if a guard understood something, he would, he would censor it. He would not let the message pass. He would prevent it in some way from going through. Well, that's what's happening for John in Revelation. It tells us at the beginning of the book, Revelation chapter 1 Verse 9, I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So, John, the apostle who has written the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and now the Revelation, five books in the New Testament. He is in exile. He is a prisoner on an island called Patmos. We had the privilege about 13 years ago of going on a trip to Greece and, and Turkey and uh, in the area that Paul traveled in. And we got to stop on the island of Patmos. And I was uh, so overwhelmed when I stood beside this granite outcropping in which John made his, his home, kind of a, a, a cave, a hut. And I put my hand on the top of this piece of granite and it had become black from thousands of pilgrims, thousands of people touching that spot. And I looked out on the waters of the Mediterranean Sea surrounding the island of Patmos and what struck me was how smooth and glassy those waters were surrounding Patmos. And I couldn't help but be reminded of Revelation 4, 6 where John in his vision sees God on his throne and it says before the throne there are as it were a sea of glass like crystal and I could just stand on that Isle of Patmos and look out and see what John was seeing when he wrote this and <clears throat> when he envisioned the throne room of God surrounding by an island of, of glassy crystal-like sea and, and the elders sitting on thrones worshiping God and praising him forever and ever. <clears throat> So John is on this island, and he is being held captive there. And the Jewish Christians are being persecuted, and they need encouragement. So what can John do to communicate his message to the Jewish Christians? Well, he uses code language that the Jews would understand from their heritage, their past. There's a book in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, that was written in what's called Jewish apocalyptic literature. And what apocalyptic literature is, if you look at the book of Daniel, you see a lot of the same numbers and colors and animals and signs and portents that you see in the book of Revelation. And and what it is 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 symbolic language that only the Jews would understand. So the numbers symbolize something. The colors symbolize. The animals symbolize something. Don't take 144,000 literally to be the only number that's going to be saved. 144,000 is 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. 12 represents completeness. 10 represents a whole number. When you take a whole number three times, it means everybody who believes in God is going to be saved. Not literally 144,000, but symbolically. Everyone who's supposed to be saved, whom believes in God and has been forgiven by their sin for their sins is going to be saved. It's symbolic. The colors are symbolic. The animals are symbolic. And those reading it would understand that, but the Roman captors who look at it think it's gibberish and they let it pass. That's why Revelation was written in this this code language that only Jews would understand. So we read here in Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6, about a woman and a dragon. And a woman's about to give birth and bear a child, a son. And the dragon is standing before her trying to devour this child. What does this mean? What do they represent? Well, we don't have to guess about the dragon. A little further down in verse 9, it says, "...the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil." And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So we're told explicitly here that the dragon represents the devil. He represents Satan. In this message of Christmas, a message of tranquility and peace, we have smack dab in the middle of it a dragon and a woman in labor. Verse 3, the dragon is described as a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems upon his head. What does that mean? It just means that he has power here on earth. He's red, seven heads, ten horns, crowns on each. He has a a lashing tail, it it tells us, uh, a little bit later, where he sweeps his tail and sweeps down a third of the stars, verse 4, of heaven, and casts them to the earth. He represents the devil and he is standing before this woman who's about to bring a son into the world and he's trying to devour, he's trying to destroy the one thing that threatens him the most. A child who is about to be born. The woman is described in verse 1. Clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. That represents her heavenly connection. In verse 17, you might think this woman about to bear a son represents Mary, but it's more than just Mary. Verse 17, the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus. So the woman's offspring keep God's commandments and bear testimony to Jesus. Well, who was that? That's the church. The woman represents the church. She's told that she'll give birth to a son, a child. Verse 5, who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's the son of God who's coming into the world, the dragon before her, trying to destroy him. She represents the church, the bride of Christ, under the protection of Almighty God and under his power. And now you begin to see the battle that is transpiring when Jesus is born. We emphasize Mary and Joseph and traveling to Bethlehem and the shepherds on the hillside and the wise men who come. But the Gospels are very clear to to present the fact that when Jesus comes into the world, it's not a vacuum. There are a lot of forces at work. There are a lot of dynamics that are taking place. And it's the woman's task to bring forth the Messiah. Satan does not want the Messiah to be born. But the birth of the Messiah is a result, not just as a son of Mary and Joseph, not just the son of Mary and the son of God, but it's an ancestral line of Jesus that has been protected down through the ages. To look at Jesus' genealogy, all you've got to do is go back to Matthew chapter 1 and look at some of those names. And think about what had to be overcome for Jesus to enter into our world. There's a story of of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And you know how old they were when Isaac was born? The story of Jacob. And you know about Jacob and Esau and the battle between them. Joseph and how Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, Judah and Tamar. Rahab, you know Rahab in the promised land, Boaz and Ruth, how Ruth came back to the land of the Jewish people with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and ended up marrying Boaz and having a son. There was Saul in Jesus' line, and you know the, the jealousy between Saul and how jealous he was of David and how that was almost destroyed, Bathsheba. You see how many times, what I'm saying is, in this ancestral line of Jesus, you see how many times Satan tried to stop what God was doing. But every time Satan was thwarted by God and God accomplished his will and his purpose through this line of Jesus because the purpose of God was to bring the Son of God into the world. Well, where was Satan when Jesus was born? What was he doing? He was there. You remember the story of the wise men? who go to King Herod and ask, where is he who's born the king of the Jews? Verse 8 of chapter 2 in Matthew. And Herod sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Did Herod really want to come and worship Jesus? Of course not. He wanted to destroy him. He wanted to kill him. But the wise men were told in a dream not to return to Herod. Once again, God protected the Son of God and when Herod realized that he had been tricked by the wise men, the evil of Satan rose its head again and Herod decreed that all the male children, two years of age and under, in the region of Bethlehem should be put to death. Evil. Rampant. Once again, Satan slinging his tail because he had been deceived. Once again, The dragon raging, endeavoring to swallow, devour the child. He's failed time and again. And what I wanted you to do in Revelation 12 was see the Christmas story from a little bit different perspective. Everything that happened at Jesus' birth, the shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, everything was fulfilling this story of the dragon who opposed the woman giving birth to a child. Everything. Listen, verses 4 and 5. His tail swept down a third of the stars. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child when he brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. How does that sound for a, a pleasant little story about Christmas? It's different, isn't it? It's strange. But I want you to see how this portrays the issues that are at stake when the Son of God is born. The baby who is in a manger, this little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes because, and, and laid in a manger because there was no room for him in an inn is going to overcome a dragon with seven heads and ten horns and ten diadems upon those heads. This dragon is going to be slain by a baby. Isn't that just like God? Isn't that so cool? The baby's a dragon slayer. And the dragon knows his days are numbered. And he's out to try to stop the birth of this child, but he cannot. He's out... After the birth of this child, to destroy everything that the child accomplishes, but he cannot. Even in the tomb, the child bursts forth once again. The purposes of God could not be stopped. It reminds me of, of those old westerns where the two gunslingers come up opposing each other, and one says to the other, This town isn't big enough for the both of us. It's like Jesus says that to Satan This world isn't big enough. For the both of us. And the the dragon is slain. He's dead. The battle is over. He just doesn't know it yet. He's in his his death rattles. The child is victorious. But that's not the end of the story. It goes on. She brought forth a male child. Verse 5. He's called up to God and to his throne. And then there arose in heaven. Verse 7. Michael and his angels, a war fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fall, and the dragon is cast down to earth. He doesn't go down fighting. He wages war in heaven, but now it's not God and Jesus who are fighting. It's, it's Michael and the angels who do the fighting, and Satan is cast down, but on his way down, he tries to do as much damage as he possibly can. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman. He pursued the church who had borne the male child. Satan, friends, what I want you to see in this passage is that Satan is at war with the church. He is at war with, what's the church? It's the body of Christ. It's you and I. Satan is making war with us. You think, At Christmas, that everything is is peace and tranquility and happiness, and that sense does pervade. But there is going on right underneath the scene a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. But we don't need to be afraid, we don't need to cower in fear. The dragon has already been defeated, he is just trying to create as much havoc and chaos as possible. But there is evil in the world, and we will be part of this battle as long as you and I are on earth. We are at war. You may not be on the front lines. You might not uh, be taking an active part in the battle against Satan. It's interesting how Satan operates. If he has somebody in his hip pocket, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time focusing his time and energy on them. But it's those people who have sold out to God It's those people who have given their lives to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm on your side. Everything I am, everything that I have, everything that I hope to be belongs to you. Use me. It's those people that Satan launches his onslaught against. I told you a story once about the the man who who had pictures of television preachers out and he was praying. He had Billy Graham, had Adrian Rogers, had... Charles Stanley had, had names and faces, and he's praying. And, and someone sitting beside him said, excuse me, but, but are you praying for God's protection, for his, his provision for these preachers? He said, no. He said, I serve Satan. I am praying against these people. I'm praying that they would suffer, that there would be a mighty downfall, and that great harm would come to them. Folks, there is a spiritual battle. That's being waged right now against the forces of God and the forces of evil. We don't have to be afraid because God is greater. The battle is over. The victory is sure. But Satan's not going to give up. He's not going to go away quietly. You have to be vigilant. You cannot sit on the sidelines. You've got to, to be ready at all times. The minute you let your guard down is the moment he attacks, when he seeks a weakness, when he finds a vulnerability. That's where he will direct his barbs. That's why Paul tells us in the last chapter of Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. Why do we have to do that if there's not a battle going on? Stand therefore, Ephesians 6, 14, girding your loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Take on the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul is very uh, specific about the, the elements of warfare that you and I can put on as Satan attacks us and as we wage this, this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare against him. Just because Satan is pictured, I want to say this very clearly. Just because Satan is pictured in a symbolic way in this passage, don't make the mistake of thinking that he's some kind of mythological creature. Do not underestimate him. Do not pass him off as being some sort of mythological creature. Satan is real, and his purpose on earth is to oppose whatever God is doing. But the good news is that he will not, he cannot ultimately win because God has already won the victory. But Satan is not going to to give up. He's not going to throw in the towel. And neither should you or I. In God's army, we need to be on the front line. We need to put on our spiritual armor. And we need to wage battle against the evil one because he is waging it against us. So... How is that for a happy sermon to kick off the Christmas season? Merry Christmas. And by the way, there's a dragon out there who tried to stop the birth of Jesus and every purpose of God ever since. He is out to attack. And as soon as you give your life to God, as soon as you desire, you rededicate your life, as soon as you desire to serve him, that's when the attacks begin in earnest. So you can kind of turn that around. If Satan's not attacking you right now, then it might be because he doesn't feel like he has to. If Satan is attacking you, then you must be doing something right for the Lord. An interesting thing occurred during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. You know the story of of, uh, Northern Europe and and Western Europe and, and the freezing winter and how the Allied forces were making slow progress against the German resistance. Well, early in the battle, uh, German troops captured an American unit. And as they took those Americans prisoner, they began going through uh, the resources they had with them. And one of the things that the American soldiers had, just as the German officer was going through it, he just could not believe what he found. And it sounds minor until you realize the implications of it. But what they found was a chocolate cake that had been shipped from Boston. And it was fresh. And that German officer was a pretty smart guy. And he said at that point where he found in the possession of the American prisoners chocolate cake that was still fresh having been shipped from Boston, he realized right then and there that the Germans would never win the war because the Americans had resolve and support and resources to ship that cake from Boston to American soldiers in the Battle of the Bulge. And the German officers realized that forces that had those, those resources and those opportunities and that support from home would be impossible for them to defeat. Folks, when we stand together as the Church of Jesus Christ, Satan knows he can't win. He knows it. But he doesn't quit. Jesus In the confession at Caesarea Philippi, told Simon Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church is secure. And when you're a member of a a family of faith, you are safe. And That doesn't mean that Satan's not going to try to pull you down, because he will. That stealthy dragon is out there creeping around right now, seeking lives whom he may devour and destroy. But you have to be vigilant. You have to be on your guard. The baby has won. And if you belong to him, you cannot lose. That's why we worship him at Christmas and throughout the year. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world despite the attempts of Satan. To foil him. But he failed at every turn. God's victory is secure. Rest in that assurance. Whatever slings and darts the devil may assail at you today. Rest in the arms of Jesus. Shall we bow? Father, this is a strange passage in Revelation. But it just reminds us of the spiritual warfare that that took place when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. There is a dragon, there is Satan, and he has power in this world. But we praise you, his power does not equal yours. He has already lost the battle and yet he continues to make as many of us miserable as he possibly can while he's going down the tubes. Christmas time, he may be particularly busy. And even though there'll be the message of peace and happiness, there'll be folks around us who are sad at Christmas, who face depression, who know financial struggles and battles, and whose own souls are in travail because of the the onslaught of the evil one and the tricks with which he seeks to deceive us and devour us. So God, at Christmas, let us not let down our defenses, but be wary and awake and alert to what Satan is up to, to put on our spiritual armor and be prepared, because the baby has won the victory, the dragon is slain, and Jesus is victorious, for it's in his name we pray, amen. 281 is our invitational hymn, Speak to My Heart, 281. There is a battle being waged for your soul right now. Satan is trying to keep you from doing what God is calling you to do. And that may be to profess your faith or rededicate your life or join this church. Whatever that might be, you listen to God and you follow obediently. I'll be at the front to receive.